This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Oh, goodness, in this day and age, with this week gone by, he's going to preach on money. All right, kids, come on, let's go. I think we've got half an hour till McDonald's breakfast menu finishes. No, I'm glad you're still hanging around. That's good, that's good. Um, no, I'm not necessarily going to talk about money today. Um, we, we have been going through a series on For God Alone, and it, it, it really kind of delves into living a life. What does it, living a life for God alone look like? And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, how we can live our lives uh, for God alone in our worship. And then uh, we've been looking at how we can live for God alone in our work. And uh, today, uh, we're going to have a look at how we can live for God alone with our possessions. So if you have a look, uh, and if you open up your Bibles or your apps to uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, obviously from the slide up there, uh, we're going to look at the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool. But before we do, Every day of our lives, we find ourselves being pulled in a lot of different directions. I love when people come and ask me, how was your week? And I think, oh, where do I start? Um, do I start with uh, my little grandson that's now four and a half weeks old? Do I talk about my wife? Do I talk about my kids? Do I talk about work? Do I talk about church? Do I talk about my own health? Do I talk about the fact that I had a haircut, um, went to the dentist? Um, where do I start? You, you see, our, our, our lives are pulled in just so many different directions. Uh, our obligations to so many things are just endless. And you might even be sitting here or watching on uh, your computer today with that question, what, what actually is important to me? You see, as we kind of think about all these different directions that we're being pulled, obviously there's something that's going to dominate our life. And it answers the question, what is really important in my life? And the passage that we've uh, got here today from Luke chapter 12 forces us to make a decision about what kind of life we want. Do we want a life dependent on things of this world or a life with no guarantee of any of the world's goods, but only to be close to God? I think we've had the, the greatest sermon illustration by Dr. Daniel this morning. Double doctorate? You're a bit of an overachiever. Come on. I think we're all thinking that. You're a very clever man, sir. But uh, after all his accomplishments and everything, to, to give that up and to go into, into full-time ministry is just absolutely incredible. And yet God calls us all to a, world that, to a, to a life that's more dedicated to him. So this passage is really important and relevant to us today because for most people today, the main priority of, in life is to attain enough money to live the good life. That's pretty much sums up the life of most people in our society. We're, we're bombarded on television and in media and on our computers with beautiful houses, uh, fashion, technological gadgets, food, all these kinds of things, showing us what we don't have and what we need to have. 
And today, no matter what anyone possesses, someone else has got something bigger, something better, something newer, something different. And especially in our society, the distance between being comfortable and being covetous may actually not be so great. So Jesus is in the middle of a a fantastic sermon sharing about what living for God alone looks like. And uh, earlier in chapter 12, he he warns uh, those who have been listening, and it's quite a crowd, in fact, a crowd of many thousands, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, uh, that they're trampling on one another. And Jesus starts talking about how God will provide for their needs, uh, to be on their guard against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, uh, and to acknowledge that God is the provider of all, and that we should put our faith in him. And in the middle of his sermon, some guy yells out, and we pick it up at verse 13. Someone in the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. So Jesus is in the middle of this sermon and a a guy interrupts his sermon with this very, in in the middle of thousands of people, this very personal issue that he has and he wants to share it with the world. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now down through history, there have been innumerable families that have been absolutely destroyed over a thing as simple as the distribution of assets. I've known many families where certain members have become angry with other members of the family over the way the estate has been divided. And sadly, they don't speak to each other again for many years. And yet this man really didn't ask Jesus for a decision on what would be a fair division of the estate. He just demanded of Jesus Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus did not answer the way that he was expected to. And thankfully, Jesus never answers those kinds of questions the way that we all expect him to do. And in fact, in verse 14, he says to the man, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? 
You see, Jesus actually refuses to be sidetracked from his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Instead, Jesus doesn't make a, a legal judgment, but he actually makes a moral one. Jesus knows that this family feud over inheritance was really only a symptom of a greater problem. Greater problem of greed. In fact, the you in verse 14 is, is plural. And it indicates that both the brothers had, have a problem with this greed. They're, they're fighting over this inheritance. You can imagine uh, for days that they've been fight, literally fighting with each other over this money. Both of them are wanting to hold on to that money as much as they could. As long as both brothers are suffering from greed, no settlement was going to be satisfactory. And so Jesus tells them that the most important thing is not for him to solve this problem, but that there needs to be a change of heart. A change of heart. And if we're honest... How often have we gone to, to God asking him to change our situation when really what we need is a change of our own heart? I dare to say that most of our prayers are that God would solve a problem, a particular problem in our lives. And yet perhaps maybe our prayer should be, God, here's my problem. How would you like to change my heart? So in verse 15, Jesus says to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see, the danger for this man was a greed. The Greek word is pleonexia, and it means to lust after, to have more than your fair share a grasping for more that is never satisfied. Or to put it another way, to want more of what you already have enough of. And that's kind of the situation where this man, or the, these two brothers were. They were very much satisfied with, well, they had enough to live on, and yet they craved more. And in fact, it, it's a theme that... you pops up throughout the Bible. Back in the Old Testament, Proverbs 21 speaks of this very problem when it says, all day long a man craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. The writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter 5 verse 10 says, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. But is that not exactly how many of us think today? How many of us think that if we could just win the lotto or get a, a scratchy ticket that actually gives us some money, then we can live the good life? In fact, Chuck Swindoll pictures it this way. Picture a, a shipwrecked sailor on a life raft in the middle of the ocean. And his terrible thirst impels him to drink the salt water of the ocean. And we all know that that salt water makes him even more thirsty. And so he drinks more of the ocean water, which makes him incredibly more thirsty. And it just gets on and on and on until, paradoxically, he becomes dehydrated and dies. So Jesus now addresses what we can term 
the folly of seeking the comfortable life. Uh, by his uh, statement, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And yet greed tries to convince us of entirely the opposite, that life does consist in what we own. Malcolm Forbes of the Forbes magazine merely reflected our society when he said, the one who dies with the most toys wins. You've heard that saying, right? Unfortunately, Mr. Forbes has since passed away, and I'm sure that he doesn't believe in that now. And yet greed is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of our motivation for life. It's it's an obsession for what we go after. And that is often about our own pleasure. And so beginning in verse 16, Jesus starts telling this very brief little parable of a rich fool. And today, really quickly, I want to share with you five different uh, things that Jesus teaches about what happens when people and their hearts are focused exclusively on themselves. And hopefully, you might not resonate with any of these or perhaps even be challenged by any of these that Jesus brings to, to us through this passage today. The first one, as it says up there, when our hearts are focused on ourselves, we actually don't give the credit for things that God has done. In the parable, Jesus says, this certain man is blessed with an abundant harvest. And this parable is, is shared with just so many people in, in, this, uh, in this crowd. And yet he's also speaking to these brothers. Making sure that everyone realizes that he's telling the story that is applicable to all of us. There are times in which we are blessed. We are living a blessed life. But someone who is totally focused on themselves does not give the credit to God, but gives the, takes the credit for themselves. How hard I've worked, how, how many things I've done, the sacrifices I've made to get here. So many people think of that. And yet Jesus makes sure that we realize that we have to recognize that it's God that continues to bless us each and every day. But this rich fool, he's a fool for, one, for the first reason being that he doesn't give the credit to God. And those who focus them on themselves don't do this either. The second thing that uh, this man does, and when people who focus on themselves, is that they make plans but leave God out. He goes on to say, this uh, rich fool, oh, what shall I do with all this abundance of crops? I've just got no place big enough to store these crops. Oh, I'm going to actually tear down what I already have and build bigger ones tomorrow. And then I'll be able to store all my surplus grain. Now, there's nothing wrong to have a desire to grow. It's an, 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 a, a very much a thing that is wise and prudent. The problem laid in the fact that there was no thought of sharing, no thought of, of uh, um, letting anyone know about this. It was all for him. I'm going to build these, 
these barns, these silos, and it's all going to set me up for the future. And you can see that as we look closer at this passage, that we find that the pronoun my and I come up 12 times in this little passage. It's all about me, 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 my, I, I, I. My crops, my barns, my goods. And frankly, we know as followers of Jesus that he's confused between ownership and stewardship. We know that nothing that we have in our possession belongs to us ultimately. It belongs to God. It's only on our, as ours on loan. So this man has left God completely out of, uh, of the picture, how he's obtained this, uh, this uh, uh, richness, but also of any plans that he's going to do to store everything for himself. Well, the third thing that we learn from people who have their hearts focused on themselves is that they consider spending their resources only on themselves. Again, the, the rich fool says in verse 19, I'll, I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for so many years. Huh, let's take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This man is thought to have put this plan together, which was good in his own eyes. And it would pay off benefits, not just for the next week, but for years to come. He was setting himself up for retirement. And before you think that putting stuff into your retirement plans is a bad idea, that's not what I'm saying. But all of this is based on the fact that this man thought he had control of the fate of his life in his own hands. We often live like that. We live with plans that it will, are inflexible, that we are focused on so much without recognizing that God is in control of the fate of each one of us. This man envisioned the future as continually expanding and under his control. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. James writes about such an attitude in chapter 4. He says, Now listen you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. And so it sounds like the Bible is actually discouraging us from looking towards the future and having any kind of expectations. But that would be totally wrong. It's that we need to lean, lean into God and His plans for us. And perhaps even having to sacrifice those things that we had anticipated and putting our trust in God and His plans for us. The fourth thing really quickly is that when our hearts are focused on ourselves, we store our treasure in the wrong places. God says to this, this farmer, this man who has accumulated so much, he actually says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. 
then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The man is pronounced a fool by God. A fool in biblical language is actually not a description of his mental ability, um, but of a spiritual discernment. According to Scripture, a fool is a person who leaves God out of any consideration. Psalm, Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. That's how the Bible pictures a fool. This man is not a fool because of his uh, failed thinking, but it's because he's left God out of his plans and of his life. He's a fool in that he didn't recognize that his material possessions really came as blessings from God. And he didn't recognize any obligation to God in the use of those possessions. Fools leave God out of their lives. The son-in-law of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and an English author of many books, Sir Fred Catherwood, once said, Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life or death. We grab what we can while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it as hard as we can. Wonderful little story by Leo Tolstoy wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who wasn't satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. So one day, he received a very novel offer. For a thousand rubles, he could buy all the land he could that he could walk around in a day. He could have and possess the amount of land that he could circumnavigate in one day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at his starting point before sundown. Well, early that morning, the farmer got out and started out walking at quite a pace. And by midday, he was quite tired. But he kept going, covering more ground and more ground. And when, in the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him far away from the starting point he quickened his pace, and as the sun began to sink low in the sky, he began to run, knowing that if he didn't make it back to his starting point by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landholder was going to be lost. So as the sun began to sink slowly below the horizon, he came within sight of the finishing line, and gasping for breath, his heart pounding, he called upon every bit of strength left in his body and staggered across the starting line just before the sun disappeared. He immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth, and in a few minutes he died. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave he owned no more than six feet long and three feet wide the title of Tolstoy's story how much does a man need how much does a man need to be a fool is to have missed the point of life the remarkable thing is that this person that God calls a fool we'd actually call a success Someone whose business is growing exponentially. It was a matter of his heart. 
Jesus says, that very night, your life will be demanded from you. That Greek word demanded is literally means to demand back or require back, conveying the idea of a loan that must be repaid to God upon demand. And he goes on in the second half of that verse to say, then who will get what you prepared for yourself? Long before the great philosopher Solomon made a comment on this very problem in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says, For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and such a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Since you can't take it with you, there's no need to wear yourselves out accumulating it. We need to put our faith and trust in a God that provides for us each and every day. It would be good for us to remember the words of the missionary Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Okay, final thing. Fifth thing that Jesus teaches. When our hearts are focused on ourselves, we find ourselves in conflict with God's plans for our lives. Verse 21 says, this is how it will be with for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Riches have one major weakness. They have no purchasing power after we're dead. Does it? The rich towards God, however, have an everlasting benefit. What do you want to spend your life doing? accumulating things that will die with you or putting your motivations and desires and efforts into things that will last way beyond you. That's the challenge that Jesus makes to those people there and makes that challenge today. We come across, obviously, a financially difficult time over the next couple of years. May it not let us be beaten into thinking about what we don't have. Let's have that change of heart and recognise that God has brought us together as a church to unify, to help one another, to minister to each other and minister to our community when they most need it. May we have a change of heart that looks at the world the way God looks at it. And looks at our possessions the way God looks at our possessions. We have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. I'm going to ask the band to come up now as we reflect on that. But also remember that we are living totally countercultural to the rest of society. Where everyone wants to work for themselves, live for themselves, for their own pleasures. Jesus says that's not the essence of living. The essence of living is to glorify him and to look after our neighbours as we look after ourselves. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, what a challenging time we live in and a challenging passage to look at. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've placed upon us. 
maybe not necessarily materially, perhaps just with relationships, perhaps in lots of different ways, we attribute blessings to you that you have bestowed upon us. Father, we thank you for them, but we also don't hold to them so tightly that we can't use these to benefit you and your kingdom. May we be generous, generous of heart, generous of time, and even of what we have, Lord. May we be useful for your kingdom and useful for those around us. Lord, open our eyes to those opportunities that we can help and love and share with one another today and in the days ahead. We thank you, Lord, in your precious name. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.